1: Welcome to Time Masters, a Poppy Chula Radio.com original series, Poppy Chula Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Monday, May 24th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CWs, DCs, Legends of Tomorrow. Please welcome my co-hosts, Professor X. Hello, hello. And Millie Wood.
0: Hello, listeners.
1: Let's jump into our discussion of Season 6, Episode 4, which was titled Bay of Squids, and aired May twenty third, 2021. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. The legends are shocked when Rory takes command and manages to find the location of an important alien. But he also lands them in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Ava is eager to question the alien, but they must steal it back from the Cubans and Russians who think it is a bio-warfare sent by the Americans. The team makes a decision to split up, leaving Nate and Zari to work together to stop a nuclear disaster alongside JFK while Bayrod tries to leverage his newfound friendship to stop Castro from starting a war. Meanwhile, with Spooner's help, Rory makes an unlikely deal that could lead him on a solo mission to find Sarah. Let's talk about it. It's interesting because Legends of Tomorrow includes the wordiest press releases as the synopsis for the episode. But yeah, um everything else like the flash gives like two sentences and uh, black lightning barely gives one. Okay, let's talk about this. And I actually want to start off by talking about Nate and Zari. Because they have an interesting storyline together, sort of like removing them from the overall storyline that they have with JFK and DC, focusing specifically on them as a duo. We start off the episode with Nate looking at Zari. We have Zari 2.0 looking a lot like Zari 1.0, the makeup that they did for Zari this time around was much more subtle so she she had a like the same look as original zari and that brought brought back some memories for Nate at the start of the episode it, you know it brought back some memories for little Nate as well fantastic joke there and uh, throughout the episode we saw them team up we saw them work really well together And by the end of the episode, uh, when he looks at her, she's like, sorry, you know, do I still look like her? And it looks like Nate finally sees Zari 2.0 for the Zari that she is. Uh, He's like, no, you know, I I just see you. What did we think of this? What do we think this means? Was this the episode where Nate finally got over Zari 1.0? He got the closure that he needed. He sees Zari as the Zari that she is. What do we think of the chemistry between Nate and Zari in this episode? Were we at all scared for at least half a second that they were going to do a love triangle between Zari, Constantine, and Nate? Uh, Yeah, question mark, question mark, question mark. Millie Wood, I'll start off with you.
0: If it's going the way I felt like it was going, I'm not a fan of it because I felt like at the end, it was not just like him seeing Zarya's 2.0 as 2.0, but like the like suggestions that it might be this weird, he now has feelings for Zarya 2.0. And it just, it all read really funny. And I was not a fan of that because I thought we could move past it. Um, and not make it messy. I like Zari 2.0 and whatever she's having with Constantine is interesting. And let's just kind of continue down that. I think it's time for Nate to move on. Um, so overall, like their, their inter- interplay was fun and interesting, uh, curious situation they were in, uh, but I just wasn't a fan of how he was reacting to her. I thought her reaction to him was great though.
1: Okay. That's interesting. So you think they are going to head into the romantic triangle?
0: Well, like they got the whole, at the end, the hands, and then when he was like, oh, I now see, like, oh, no, I don't see her anymore, I see you, and, the, like, the wistful way that he was, that like, Nick was playing it felt like that's where they were hinting at I could have just totally misread it, but that's the vibes I got, and I was not a feeling.
1: Okay, Professor, your take on it, because I, I didn't think there were romantical vibes by the end of it, but maybe I'm mistaken. Did you see the romance? Like, do you think they are headed into a love triangle situation? Or do you think it was, as I said, uh, that I, I think this was Nate getting over, not getting over Zari, well, technically it would be getting over Zari, could, or getting over 1.0, or at least coming to the re- understanding that this is a new Zari and he no longer gets sort of like those um, memories of original Zari within new Zari. I don't know if I explained that properly. I think I explained it better the first time around.
2: Well, I will agree with Millie in that she totally misread the situation. Um, the uh, The end of the episode was that, you know, Nate is completely over. Sorry. You know, th- there's not going to be a uh, love triangle or a love quadrangle or anything like that. And uh, let's face it. You know, Nick has, uh, uh, you know, experience with, you know, uh, someone he was in love with showing up with the same face, but a completely different personality and not interested in him. Uh, interestingly, you know, personal, I've, I've had that happen to me on multiple occasions. Someone I was dating for a long period of time, suddenly showed up completely different personality, looked exactly the same, told me she was com- someone completely different and that I should stop calling her. It was, it was weird. Um, I do actually believe anyway, that. Anyway, I, I liked, uh, I liked that. I, I, I don't know if they needed to deal with it. I felt that it had been dealt with earlier, but I guess they decided they had to deal with it in a really emphatic putting a period on the end of the sentence. This is over. We're not going to go back to this. And that's what that felt like to me. Um, I thought it was great in that, you know, Zari was fantastic. Uh, you know, you know uh, Zari 2.0 was not my favorite character when they were introduced, when she was introduced. Um, but uh, I loved her in this episode because she is dealing with being, you know, a woman out of time, a woman who is used to being, you know, the uh, the queen bee who is suddenly thrust into a situation where all she can do is serve coffee and type up messages uh, and having her type out the message using only her thumbs. Oh my God. How funny was that? Um, I thought it was great. Uh, I did. I really liked it. And I like the fact that, you know, Nate had the opportunity to actually contribute something because Nate has become kind of the forgotten member of the wave rider. He was brought onto the show because of his expertise as a historian. And that's sort of been forgotten over time. Um, I was reading uh, an, an article with uh, Nick Sano, Uh, This week in which he was talking about the fact that his superpower is so expensive, you know, every time. And I've talked about this before. Why would Nate go into any situation when he wasn't, you know, totally steeled up? And the reason is it's expensive. Um, So, you know, um, and that, you know, sort of explains it. But I like the fact that, you know, they gave him the opportunity to do that. They gave him the opportunity to do a very, very, very bad Boston accent. Um, he, He got to carry you know one of the plots of the uh, the episode, which he hasn't done in a long time. I thought it was it was really good, and I'm pretty sure that this is the end of uh, of Nate and uh, and Zari being a thing. So now we can all just sit back and enjoy John and Zari.
1: Okay, that's how I read it. So I, I hope that that is the case because it makes I, I think it makes the most sense. Um, we hadn't seen Nate get closure from Zari. I mean we we saw them together when she had to go back into totem but even that never felt like real closure so uh, I'm glad that they put a button on it um, in this episode so the next person I want to talk about is Bayrod we got a lot more Bayrod in this episode than we've seen of him in, in the season thus far and I want to get your sort of both of yours interpretation of Bayrod this in this episode and how they're using him this season so in this episode he ends up um unwittingly infiltrating the 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 Cuban regime uh they think he's uh, Che Guevara and uh, he's he says he's Che's cousin Jay and he bonds with fidel castro he ends up singing to him props on the singing it was fantastic and uh he does end up um making things worse at, at a certain point <laughs> Uh, A lot of uh, what Bayrod did in this episode was used uh, as as comedy, as humor. Online, I I read a comment where someone interpreted uh, his storyline as, oh, they're kind of making Bayrod the new uh, Rory, where Rory would show up to missions like drunk and sort of screws up the mission with his drunkenness. They have Bayrod be high and, uh, you know, consume edibles uh, in the form of gummies uh, f- during the mission, and he kind of screws things up as well. Um, the characterization of Bayrod last season, they had him a little bit more together, even though he was, like, a weedhead, like, he would still be, like, a, kind of a little bit more together when he was in a mission. This time around, uh, I mean, he's consuming the gummies on the mission, and he's late to the mission, and all that kind of stuff, and and I'm wondering if, if, I don't know, I'm just wondering what you guys think of this interpretation of Bayrod. Um, are they turning him into the Rory of the team now that we know that Rory is officially leaving, you know, in the large capacity of series regular by the
2: end of the season? Professor, what do you think of of Bayrod in this episode? Well, when they first uh, introduced Bayrod and he was like, you know, unconscious on the couch uh, on the Waverider, I thought, well, this is going to be a way to, you know, not have him take a play a part in the episode because it's just going to be you know wasted um but you know they they brought him around and had him play a part i don't agree with the idea that he's going to be the rory uh, for a couple of reasons one you know uh, and again it might just be the difference in attitudes between you know alcohol and weed amongst uh, uh screenwriters but you know uh mick is an angry belligerent asshole you can't deal with Uh, Bayrod is, you know, a, a, a pleasant stoner and, and honestly, nothing that he did in the episode screwed things up to the extent that Mick would routinely screw things up, you know, when he was drunk and belligerent, you know, uh, Bayrod was still trying to do his best. And one could argue that, you know, feeding gummies to Fidel Castro might've worked out brilliantly, who knows? Um, so uh, I don't agree with the idea that he's, um, Uh, He's he's in any way a replacement for Mick. Yes, he's a bit of a stoner, but I don't think he's you know uh, a malevolent stoner in in the way that um, uh, Mick is a a malevolent drunk. Uh, I liked Bayrod through the episode. You know the way he he portrayed as soon as he put the the uh, oh the the beret on. I thought I think playing himself up as Jay Guevara. Nope, it's Jay Guevara. And again, it's just such a a delightful little lens thing to to play with that and then to have him sing a song and and do all of that I thought I thought, thought yeah you know, he was anything but uh, a villain a I thought he was you know delightful and, and really enjoyable in the episode in his own right
1: okay I did find him enjoyable I was just a little worried that they're making him sort of like the screw- up on the team you know with the comedic relief and that sort of thing
2: uh, by the end of it I, I think much like when how, how could you identify one member of the wave rider as quote, the screw-up. Well, that and is true.
1: That is true, that is true, that is true. They all stumble their way through the mission. That is a fact. But I was worried that... Um, well, what I thought was interesting, not that I was worried, uh, what What I thought was interesting was that at the end of the mission, if Mick sort of screws up majorly, uh, like in the past, like they always sort of chastise him for his drinking and that sort of thing, but nobody ever really sort of chastises uh, Um. Bayrod for being high all the time, which, I, that's kind of fascinating. Millie, your take on Bayrod, what did you think of him throughout the episode?
0: I don't know, I'm <laughs> I feel like I'm a negative Nancy. here. I thought it was, it felt very out of place a little bit. I don't know, I felt like he's been somewhat gung-ho about everything and then when he was very like passive and and then eating the gummies and stuff it just didn't really feel much like Bayrod um not to say like it, he wasn't enjoyable I think you know the actor did a great job and it was definitely went kind of off the deep end in terms of that but I think because it felt out of character for me I thought it was just a one-off where it's like it's not that he's going to be the next Mick it was just like some weird characterization I think it might also have to do with like finding his place now that Zari has her bracelet Um, what is he going to be but I don't necessarily him being as like the mess up because he hasn't really really hasn't tracked him overall um so i, I hope that it was just kind of a weird pacing thing this episode and he's back to being his interesting self uh, in the next couple episodes
1: mm-hmm. see i didn't mind his storyline in this episode what i am worried about is because he he sort of has been given the character traits of the lovable stoner is like I don't know if having him like stoned the fuck out every episode is gonna be a good character trait for him. Like we saw him last season, where like the gag was like maybe after a mission he would go and get stoned, but like having him like completely stoned during the mission, I, I think might just be a bit too much for me.
2: Professor uh, Jeff, before we move on, I just wanted to uh, mention uh, Millie mentioned she didn't want to be known as a negative Nancy. So I just wanted to say, do we want to refer to her as a, uh, a malignant Millie or a malevolent Millie? <laughs> Ooh, I like malevolent Millie. I think so. Malignant is a bit too harsh because yeah. of the whole cancer thing. But I think a malevolent Millie, I like that. I think that will be a thing going forward. I think Millie.
1: Yeah, I think Millie would like that. <laughs> It kind of sounds like Maleficent, but she was a badass. I'll take
0: it. (laughs) I guess. If we're going to make that comparison, I guess I'll take it.
1: Yes. Okay. So, let's see. Should we talk about next? Well, okay. This is just maybe... This is a pet peeve for me in this episode. Why did they have to... No offense, Canada... No offense, Canadian actors. Y'all need money. I understand. That man looked nothing like JFK. At all. He looked like what JFK would look like if JFK was a dweeb. Like, there's no way in hell Marilyn Monroe would be fucking that JFK. I'm just saying. That took me out of the episode. I don't know if... if, if uh, like, I don't know how much you're you're interested as far as history, Millie Wood, but did he look like JFK to you?
0: Oh, no. And I agree. I thought it was just me being, like, harsh, but I was like, that guy looks nothing like JFK. I, like I said, he was a dweeby JFK, because I definitely agree. Like, it, it was hard to get into that bit, as ridiculous as it was. So, like, I think you need a, a realistic-looking JFK to believe all the other nonsense, but yeah, he was... Like knockoff, like Walmart JFK.
1: He was he was great value JFK. Yes, Professor, uh, you, do you want to defend the Canadians?
2: Yeah, I, I just want to point. You're dealing with a show in which people travel in time to fight aliens who have chicken wings on their face, and you're bothered by the fact that the actor doesn't look exactly like JFK. Yeah, I assume I assume from a uh, a Spanish. Uh, uh, point of view, you will be standing up for the fact that uh, Fidel Castro wasn't perfectly Fidel Castro.
1: Oh no, he was actually pretty good with Fidel, Fidel Castro. And shout out to just the CW-verse for finally getting Spanish right. I mean, the Spanish was beautiful at the start of the episode. Muchas gracias por el español perfecto. It was beautiful. I, I loved it. Um, I feel like they sometimes get these Canadian actors that may have... You know, hey, some sort of Hey,
2: hey. Mm-hmm. We just talked on the flashcast about the fact that the Canadian actor playing a Spanish character did Spanish brilliantly, whereas the American actor previously, Allegra, who was doing a Spanish accent, you had a problem with. So let's uh, let's back off on the Canadians here, pal. No, I was actually giving a compliment. You just heard all the negative. I'm just saying this as I'm as I say this, I am watching a hockey game, so back off. Yes. Or I will sweater you and pummel you. Yes, but I was given a compliment,
1: because in the past, they've gotten actors that may have had Latin descent, but they weren't active Spanish speakers, you know, just to, to, you know, I guess to to say the least of it, but um, but now they've gotten actors that actually speak Spanish fluently, which is really nice. Um, Okay, so... Speaking of like the overall arc of the episode, like the main action with JFK and uh, the, the idea of uh, the Bay of Pigs, I guess had already happened because they they talk about it with JFK as if something that it had already happened, and so this is like a new crisis. And by the end of it, I mean, there's this whole conflict with one of the generals, and then they actually have to play football with the nuclear football, which was insane. I mean, there was a lot of comedy and just the insanity of the situation that that Nate and Zari have to deal with in the White House, in the Oval Office. But by the end of it, uh, Castro ends up acquiring... A missile that's supposed to be with the Russians, and when he thinks that this alien was sent by the Americans, he does end up sending the missile to Kaboom, D.C., um, there is a whole talk no jitsu thing that Nate does to JFK, and Zari does end up uh, manipulating um, the the orders that are being typed and that sort of thing. But um, JFK does end up not deciding not to, you know, retaliate, and the missile does make it to Washington DC comedically killing the general that was the biggest pain in the ass throughout the entire episode but isn't the whole point of legends to make sure that even as they stumble around to make sure a history is um it it isn't fucked with and this is like a major fuckage to history i would say
2: well the the you know the motto of legends is screwing up the future for the better um it, it was an interesting choice to deal with the cube missile crisis because it's one of the things that you know i'm guessing you know many americans actually have some passing familiarity with unlike you know most of the historical events that are dealt with uh, on legends um you know uh the Cuban Missile Crisis did happen, you know, a couple of years after Bay of Pigs, so you know that worked. Um, you know, a lot of the idea of, you know, the conflict between uh, JFK and his generals um, seems to be reasonably valid uh, in the sense of uh, of what actually happened, based on what we know about, uh, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, you know, obviously having the the bomb, you know, show up and 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 crush the uh, the uh, the actor who is playing a Curtis Lemay type uh was a bit uh crazy but you know it it is interesting you know i i think it's it's a bit harder for you know the licensed writers to deal with history as it gets closer and closer to the present because people have a greater familiarity with it you know if they were to go back to you know world war one and deal with you know kaiser wilhelm i don't think any of us would be going well he didn't look like kaiser wilhelm that mustache was wrong his accent was wrong whereas if you're dealing with a more contemporary thing where you have a greater you know um uh, a greater sense of of, of familiarity with it. Uh, I think that can be a problem or it can be a benefit. Um, uh, I think it, it, it worked fine. you know I think you have to you know sort of you know check your preconceptions uh, at the door. It's a legend sh- episode. you know this this is a, a crazy it, it's meant to be a comedy. Um, and and I think you do have to check that to a certain point. but I think it was an an interesting idea to to post it at a time when you know many people would be familiar or have a sense of what they knew about the Cuban Missile Crisis indeed. Some of the people watching the episode may have been alive when the Cuban missile crisis happened. Um, so it, it was kind of a weird choice. Um, uh, but I, I think they did a pretty good job of it, you know, uh, leaving, leaving aside the, uh, you know, the accents and, and you know, whether, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, JFK and, and Bobby actually looked or sounded like they would have uh, looked or sounded like. Uh, I thought it was it was an interesting take on it, you know, based on, you know, what we know about uh the Cuban Missile Crisis now, you know, all these years later, um, it it is kind of interesting.
1: You know, I know that I've been sounding like I've been poo-pooing the episode. I did think it was fun. Like, this episode felt like almost, you know, it was almost like a farce of of history in, in a very fun way. But the one thing that did bug me a little bit is that they typically, when they go back in time, they try not to mess with time as much. And if they do mess with it, they try to fix it to sort of put it back in the right direction of, of of where things happened historically and this just seemed so weird because in you know a a dud thank the heavens it was a, a nuclear missile that was a dud ended up landing on like the lawn of the white house I was like, I'm like, doesn't that change history? Because like, wouldn't people know this and that sort of thing? Like, it it like, wouldn't that ch- completely change. I mean, not that um, American and Cuban uh, relations were were all that fantastic anyway, but wouldn't that like change them like completely? Like, wouldn't we look at Cuba as a major threat? um i I don't know It, it that seemed like a little bit too much without giving us a line of you know we had to wipe everyone's memories of this and that sort of thing um i don't know that that sort of bugged me a little bit even though i did enjoy the story as it went along because it was so over the top and ridiculous
2: well, and and you know maybe they could have dealt with it better by having you know the uh, the wave rider shoot the, uh, the missile out of the sky or something like that. I think they just had the sense that they wanted to crush the uh, the war general, you know, under a a, a visual. Um, but again, as you said, you know they do have those memory wiping devices, so presumably they could uh, you know correct all of these things. You know, dig up the uh, the bomb casing and you know spirit it away, and, and no one would ever remember it. But. Again, this is legends. I don't think we can focus too heavily on, you know, did they fix everything perfectly? Well, no. I think if you look at most of their missions, they don't fix everything perfectly. They get things close enough Uh, and then they just sort of, you know, shrug and move on to the next thing.
1: True. Well, there was a fantastic line in the episode that, you know, it just, it was perfect. It was beautifully done and it was hella meta. It was at the very start when uh, they travel back in time. And um, Spooner was like, "Well, why didn't we travel to an hour before so that we can get out of our pajamas instead of the other?" And Zari's like, uh, "We don't really ask those kinds of questions
2: here." And I was like, "You know what? That is true, and that is legends." Well, and, and that's the beauty of bringing in a new character who can ask that sort of you know question from the audience. That well, wait a second, why didn't you just go back a week and you know do your reconnaissance and plan things out? But, of course, they don't do that because it wouldn't be as engaging a show.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's true. That's true. Millie, do you have anything to add in regards
1: to everything JFK and Washington and that storyline? The professor and I have been talking heavily about it, and I want to I bring you in. Do you have anything to add in regards to it and how they handled that situation, as well as Nate and Zari and how they were showcasing that storyline?
0: I think I'm on your side in terms of it. It felt a little weird, just like when someone noticed. Um, but I think I, I gave it a little bit of forgiveness because it was just so outrageous. It's like, okay, of course that that guy, you know, gets smushed by a missile, but if you want to get super nitpicky, why is he just waving a gun around in the White House? <laughs> that security probably wouldn't let that happen. Um, but overall, I thought it was just so so crazy when they got to the point where they're all lining up to fight football I think I was at that point where it was like I just I I was like I have to just give it to them because it was just so out there um, but it worked uh, but at the, at the same time it was like with the way that it integrated like uh, Zari and Nate uh, I, I don't know it felt off but it also worked so I was like in the middle of all of it just because it was uh, crazy but I liked it so I guess that's, that's the plus it was entertainment it just didn't make sense
1: well there's that so, this was the first Sarah-less episode of Legends of Tomorrow. Did we all notice that? At one point in the episode, did you notice that Sarah was not in this episode at all? Um, little asterisk here, BT dubs. Uh, Katie Lotz is directing the next episode. So, usually when there's, um, when an actor is directing an episode of their own show, they do give them a lighter work schedule for the, the, yeah, the previous episode because they have to do prep for the following episode. Um, yeah, it, for me, I, I didn't really notice until the end. Um, like I was expecting us to get maybe like a coda with Sarah, but we didn't even get that. Uh. Oh, yeah. Were we surprised that Sarah was not in this episode at all?
2: It was a little surprising. I don't think I noticed it during the episode because, you know, I was, I was, you know, caught up. And honestly, I think that there was so much going on. They had, you know, uh, you know, multiple storylines going on in, you know, 1962, that I think cutting away to Sarah would have not only, um, you know, it, it would have felt artificial, you know, sort of inserting her into the, uh, the process. Um, everything that was happening here was designed to uh, get Mick and Kayla off searching for Sarah. So I think having anything happening with her, A, would have, you know, detracted from, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis storyline as well as you know sort of you know it might have undercut what happened at the end of the episode so i think they probably made the right decision uh by not including her in this episode weird though it is to not have uh you know sarah in an entire episode
1: yeah i mean it's going to sound wrong the way that i'm going to say it but but it is true like it, she wasn't missed because there was so much going on. The episode was jam-packed. Everyone had their own storyline or they were involved with someone else that, you know, in their, you know, joint storyline that uh, there wasn't really any room for Sarah outside of a post-credit type of scene. But what could they have done? You know, what are, you know, if they would have included a post-credit scene, they probably just would have chopped her meeting the Mysterious Stranger from the previous episode and shown it in this episode, but, you know, it worked in, in the previous episode. Speaking of finding Sarah and that sort of thing, let's talk about Rory and uh, Spooner together. Because they were paired up for the most part in this episode. In the beginning, he did have some stuff with Ava. You know, he he ends up finding this mysterious... Uh, it was the chicken-wing-faced alien. This week, we call it squid-faced alien. That's why they are in Cuba at that time period. Um, there's a little bit of butting heads with Ava at the start. Because Rory goes in guns blazing without really having all of the intel accidentally stealing a nuclear warhead when he they, he thought that it was the alien. I mean, it's a hot fucking mess at the start with Rory in charge, um, even though he's all cleaned up and he's he's ready to go. Um, at a certain point, Ava's like, you know, you don't need to be cleaned up. You just need to be, you know, my... my pew-pew guy. And he takes offense to that. Spooner, because Spooner and and Rory are paired up a lot throughout sort of like the second half of the episode, basically tells Rory that she enjoyed um, his take on leadership and and what he was doing, the whole bang-bang-pew-pew of it all. And uh, they do end up finding uh, the alien... For whatever reason, Spooner, her powers are growing, and she's able to communicate with the alien. They're able to understand each other, and that's how she's able, and, and, and Rory's able, to talk No-Jitsu, the alien, into creating a deal. They will take the alien to her spaceship, and uh, she will lead them to Sarah. And so by the end of it, uh Rory has commandeered the Wave Rider. They have stolen plutonium and uh he is on um his way with uh the alien who is Kayla and who uh, transforms into a human woman with a little bit of, with a little ring much like Gary does with the glasses. And clearly Mick has met his match with uh, this alien. So A, Mick will be falling in love with Kayla. That's going to happen. B, they're going to find Sarah. Um, it, yeah, I, I guess that's what's going to happen. Uh, we'll see. The, 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 rest of the team, uh, they're going to go squat at Constantine's house while all that is going on. Um, I was very confused about when they were dropped off, because I was like, are they still in the 60s? Uh, uh yeah, I, I guess they're in the present day. So let's talk about Rory, Spooner, and Kayla. Clearly, it's it's a romance that's going to happen there, right? I was confused by this because I thought that Rory and Lita's mom were a thing for some reason. Uh, It looked like they were a thing last season, but he hasn't mentioned the mom in forever, so I guess they aren't a thing. So it's going to be Kayla. Um, Yeah, and I was also confused as to where in the timeline this Kayla is. So clearly this is the Kayla that was thrown from the ship that would have a problem with Gary when she sees Gary again because he, you know, just threw her out of the spaceship, I guess. Um, Millie, let's talk about this. Rory, Spooner, Rory pissing Ava off, Spooner and Rory bonding, and uh, Rory clearly getting smitten with uh, an alien that could eat him.
0: Um, um, I feel like if anyone was to fall for an alien, it would be Mick, so... I guess it kind of makes sense uh, in terms of like the whole the whole trio. I liked the the back and forth he had with Ava because I think it still shows like they have a girl like their their relationship and their friendship is still evolving and they're still trying to gain respect um, because it is you know Meg Worry and he likes to move at a glacial pace. So I like that, and we can see they warmed up at the end. So I thought it was cute, especially as Ava's trying to like get into her leadership. Um, they had cute little clips at the end when they're like um you know, acknowledging what each one did wrong. In terms of the pair-up of him and Spooner, I enjoyed it because I feel like Spooner's the most, shares the most qualities with Mick, so it, it was nice to see those kind of dynamics together because it was, like, tough um, personas on the outside to see how they work together well. It was really fun how they both just kind of want to go in and start shooting stuff up. It kind of makes sense in terms of pairing, so it was really fun to watch them uh navigate and i guess mess up and then correct their mess up um and then it'll be interesting in terms like the kayla I definitely agree it's going to go down like a love something it'll be interesting because isn't she technically engaged to gary so that would be uh I, i don't know after you get kicked out of your the spaceship by your fiance, that automatically terminates the engagement so that'll be interesting to see
1: yeah that's interesting if this is the same kayla yeah, you know, she might have just commandeered one of those pod things uh, because it looked like they found her in in a pod. Remember when it when it landed at the start of the episode? Um, so she could have just you know opened a pod, you know, ripped the alien that was in there out of it, and and you know jumped in a pod just to be safe. So if it is the Kayla that at that from the time period when uh, Gary kicked her out, then she's going to be hella pissed at, at Gary, which will be interesting to see when they eventually reunite. There was an interesting theory online that I thought was hella interesting, so that's why I'm bringing it up. Some people seem to think that Kayla could be Spooner's mother. Everyone is has been shocked into silence. Either that, or we rebuke it, Uh, Professor. That I want to get your take on uh, Mick Spooner and Kayla, and also I also want to get your take on could Kayla be Spooner's mom?
2: Well, I suppose it's possible because we are dealing with the time ship. So you know, once you get timey wimey, you know, anything is on the table. Um, It seems a little unnecessary to me, and it yeah. It it would be weird. Um, Yeah. I don't think I'm going to be on saying it would be weird. I I don't think we've got any indication. Because if that was the case, then Mick would be Spooner's father, presumably. And that would just get really weird, weird, weird. That would Um, be weird.
1: Well, the problem with – because I read that online as well. Because they were like, well, then Mick must be Spooner's father. Um. And I don't know if that needs to be accurate. Because uh, I'm trying to remember – um, I'm trying to remember what Spooner said about her past. If she, if her mother abandoned her and she was raised with her father, then she would immediately recognize Rory as her father. So
2: I, I, I don't well, know. Unless, if, unless Rory was, you know, a father in the same way that he was a father to up True.
1: Uh, you would think, though, that she would have mentioned her father in that way. Like, I was abandoned by both my parents. Um... Because that—that's where I don't know if I—if we necessarily need to buy that Mick would be her father. I could see Kayla being her mother though, because her mother was beamed up, and so if she was beamed up because she had to go and be this, you know, lethal uh, mercenary. However, she was described um, in in the previous episode by uh, Lord Knox. Um, then, you know, I, I can see her being. It could be that she's Kayla, um, you know, because this could be after she's had um, Spooner. So, you know, Mick meeting her doesn't necessarily mean that Mick has to be her father.
2: They don't have yeah, to go that
1: tiny whiny.
2: I, I don't see any indication why that would be the case. I mean, if, if the argument is that it's because Spooner can somehow, you know, tap into her mind, well, Spooner was able to, con you know, sense the other aliens as well. So, that seems to me, you know, I, I don't think there's anything that would suggest that's true beyond, you know, you know, fan service and uh, by the same token, could Caleb be Mephisto? Um, yes. A- as far as uh, uh, Mick and Spooner goes, I love them together in this episode, which is funny because, you know, they sort of put them together in a previous episode and nothing happened. No sparks, no interest. It was just meh. In this episode, it was great because, you know, uh, we've talked, you know, in in the past previous episodes uh, about, uh, you know, uh, Mick doesn't have a lot of agency. He's not doing that much. Um, and we speculated that it was because he was feeling the loss of Sarah, you know, as the last of the, you know, OG, uh, you know, Legends of Tomorrow. And I think we got uh, a real payoff of that in this episode. He was, you know, feeling a loss. But, you know, in, in response to what Ava said to him at the end of the last episode, he cleaned himself up. He, uh, he, he got working. Did his plans work? Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. Of course, but this is McRory. You wouldn't expect his plans to work. Um, But he is, you know, taking the, uh, you know, taking the initiative. And I like that. And I also like the fact that Ava accepted that. You know, there were, you know, she hugged him twice in the episode. And, you know, in the second hug, it was like, yeah, I trust you. Uh, I'm going to send you off with this alien to rescue my girlfriend, uh, my fiance. And, you know, that's a tremendous growth in Ava's character, you know, in her trust for, uh, for Mick um, that I think is, is, is really nice and really touching. Um, from a story point of view, it does allow, you know, Mick and, uh, uh, and, uh, and Kayla to go off and, and do their own thing. It allows the rest of the team to go off to John's house. Uh, whatever time frame and uh, and do whatever it is they're going to do, uh, but I, I really like you know the fact that you know again part of the Ava's growth has been her learning to trust the rest of the team. She's gone from you know binders listing every conceivable outcome to you know what you're Mick Rory, you're a complete screw up, but you know what I trust you, and uh, I really like that for Ava and for Mick.
1: Okay, the yeah one of the theories, well one of the explanations of the, of the theory as to why Kayla. Could, could be Spooner's mother is the thing that you sort of negated, Professor, the, the, the fact that um, that Spooner was able to read sort of like the text of, uh, of uh, Kayla's species, and she's able to really communicate with Kayla. We'll have to see in the sort of like upcoming episodes if she Spooner, she being Spooner, ends up meeting other aliens, if she's able to communicate with them as well. If she is, if it does mean that just her powers are growing, then I would be like, okay, maybe Kayla isn't her mom. But if she isn't, if she's only able to really communicate with, with the species of alien that Kayla is, then I'm, I'm down with the idea that Kayla is her mom. Millie? Uh, just, I want to get your take. What do you think of the the theory, the online theory that Kayla is Spooner's mom?
0: I like it, and I could see it. I could see it happening. Um, I don't know about the whole. And then, okay, so if that happens, if it's like her mom, then I don't. I take back my thing about the Mick falling in love with Kayla thing. Because like, you know, that'd just be strange. Um, that's the reason why she there's for mom, and I think it makes sense in the terms of um, because. The whole thing, like Spooner had thought her whole life, like she had something in her mind that was the reason why she could hear aliens. And then obviously Gideon debunked that, so it makes sense, like, this is the reason why she can hear aliens. Not because something was planted and she's abducted, but because her mom became an alien. So it kind of makes sense. It would be a, a cool twist, not really a surprise, since obviously we're speculating it. But I think it would, it would make sense why Spooner's here and where her journey's going to circle back and ultimately end at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, I think it would be an interesting arc for Spooner because it would mean, I would think it would mean that she's half alien. Uh, I would assume that her father would, would have been human and Kayla, if Kayla is her mom, then that would make Spooner half human, half alien. And uh, that could be kind of an interesting thing for Spooner to deal with because as, as of this point, you know, she really has a hatred. For aliens, and and she feels like the aliens did this to to her. So as you were saying, uh, Millie, if if she were to find out that she's like this because she's half alien, that would be an interesting internal. uh, Dilemma for her. Like, she'd have to quickly, you know, become more sympathetic to the aliens and the alien plight, which might be kind of interesting to see, especially because she is so gung ho of, like, pew-pewing, bang-bang, all of the aliens. Okay, so uh, was there anything that I missed? I know that I didn't really mention Ava a lot. She was much more a- attached to. Um, Mick and and that sort of thing, but she did get her, her own little moment where she was uh, she was speaking Russian uh, dasnya baby um, and and she did get that moment of pure comedy when she admitted to, to the Cuban nurse that um, she wasn 't Russian at all that she 's a clone from the future here here to steal the alien um yeah uh, but yeah if anyone wants to show some love to Ava or anything else that I miss teeny tiny little moments uh, feel free to jump in
2: well the uh the Ava moment was not only saying I'm a clone from the future but I don't even know why I'm talking like this because you know she has you know she's released the uh, the ether or whatever it is so everyone is you know goofy on the laughing gas and um you know even though she's she's loopy but she's you know still saying yeah i'm an alien, I'm a clone from the future and you're steal the alien. I don't even know why I'm talking with this silly Russian accent. I thought that was a delightful moment of of self-awareness for Ava.
1: Yes, 100%. Yes. And uh, one thing that I want to say that, I, that I, I believe maybe I mentioned briefly in a previous podcast, if I haven't, then I, I just want to say it now that I thought of it. I love the design for the species of alien that Kayla is, that both Kayla and Gary are, because it's so unique. It, it isn't the typical alien look. They clearly put the money In for the costume that, like the you know, just the the regular costume, the Buffy style, you know, uh, sci-fi, you know, Battlestar Galactica, uh, Star Trek Next Generation style costume that they put this ale, this this well, this person in to to be this alien they they put the work in to make it really unique looking and even the vfx even though it it's kind of obviously vfx when they do the tentacles and that sort of thing um they did make it you know look real enough that that it that you can imagine that you know the alien is actually doing that so props to the team for doing that. It's like a mix of practical stuff with the costume as well as VFX, you know, when they have to, um, you know, get the alien to um, whatever you call it, you know, open its mouth, I guess, just like swallow someone in and get all the tentacles and that kind of stuff. It It looks cool and it's very unique. So props to them for that. All right, now it's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. Okay, MVP time. Let's start off with the professor. Who's your MVP and why?
2: I'm going to give it to Nate. Uh, you know, Nate often is uh, a bit ignored, partially because, as we established, he has a, one of the more expensive superpowers to do. Um, it doesn't often leave him with enough to do, but he was brought on to the, uh, the rider because of his expertise as a historian. He got to use that in this case. Uh, he was delightful. And uh, I, I personally, you know, as I, I said, I think that, you know, he has wrapped up the whole Zari thing. Uh, by the end of the episode, so I think uh, he had you know a lot of development for his character in this episode, and I think uh, you know uh, he played it really well. He was you know just a delight. A very good choice, Millie. Your MVP and why?
0: As much as I was like unsure about his storyline, I have to give it to Bayrod. I thought that um, as ridiculous as it was, uh, it was really funny and like so just out there. And when they were just like, "Oh yeah, I'm the cousin." Che Guevara's I was just like okay and his song I'm like it worked um and he's the actor which I apologize on his name uh is doing really well with the content he's given he plays the stoner and he had a lot of good like one-liner quips that just kind of added to the overall like humor like at the end when he was just like okay mom to Ava and just like slipped it in, in the back it was a great delivery and just very subtle um so it was very enjoyable as ridiculous and um, as many issues I have with the problem, he made it a fun a fun time to watch.
1: Another great choice.
2: Also shout out to Gideon for not only manufacturing uh, you know weed infused gummies but branding them as well.
1: Yes. Well you know she needs something to do. She's stuck on the wave rider. I will say that whatever they were doing with Gideon the past three episodes did not happen this episode. Gideon was played a little bit more straight. Um, still, you know, perky and, and that sort of thing, but wasn't sort of like gleefully homicidal as she was the previous couple of episodes. I wonder if that was on purpose. Stay tuned, I guess. Uh, stay tuned. I'm going to give my MVP to Zari. I loved Tala Ash in this episode. Uh, I, I I just I, I thought she was an incredible asset to Nate. They played off of each other really well since this was the episode where Nate gets over Zari. Uh, I thought um her work with him was really good. The comedy of it, you have of her typing with thumbs, that was fantastic. Her choice of a southern accent, that was something Tala Ash did. And Nick Zano, who plays Nate, did not know that she was going to do that. I also read an interview with him, Professor, and he said in the interview that um, the take that we see in the episode where he's kind of, like, shocked when she starts speaking with the Southern twang, that, that was the first take that they did. And then that was the take that they used in the episode. So when they, when I read the interview, I had already seen the episode. So I went back and I rewound it. And you do see it on his face uh, when they cut to him. Like, he's kind of like, hmm. Like and he looks at her and it's 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 cute because uh, that was his fresh reaction to her speaking with the southern twang. I thought that choice for her was really good as well, just to sort of fit in and um, seem sort of uh, inconspicuous. Who will judge you for the southern twang? I guess. Um, so, she, yeah, she was really good. Uh, now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 wave riders? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden wave rider with or without the cloaking. Uh, Millie, let's start off with you.
0: Overall, was it fun? I would say it's rewatchable just because of how crazy, ridiculous all the situations are. Um it, the nitpicky stuff that we've mentioned aside, I think like, it was good. It, it definitely has been very Legends-esque, um, and I think it, it kind of sets up for a lot of like moving forward in terms of like, Nick taking over and going on his own little hunt and leaving the, everyone else to go figure out what to do next. Um, so I have to give it an 8.6, Wade Riders.
1: All right, an 8.6 from Millie Wood. Professor, what about you?
2: Uh, I'll give it a nine. Uh, I I agree. It was eminently rewatchable. And, you know, I'm not as bothered by the, you know, nitpicking uh, stuff because it's legends. You know, you can't get hung up on that because it's comedy. It's meant to be broad and funny. Um, So, you know, uh, getting hung up over, you know, does this really scan or or anything like that? I I think that's a mistake at this point in Legends. In season one or season two, yes, we would have talked about, you know, oh, what are the uh, long-term time consequences? It's just you got to wave your hands and go. It's tiny, whiny, and move on to the next episode. It's forget Jake. It's Legends Town.
1: All right, I'm gonna give it an. I'll give it eight and three quarters. Eight point seven five. It is a very rewatchable episode. It is a fun episode. I, I was a little persnickety about some stuff, and so that does bring it down for me, but it was still incredibly enjoyable. It was an, another fun, rewatchable episode of Legends. This one was really jam-packed, in, in a good way. I feel like everybody got something to do, there, even though they, the, the gag of the episode was like, oh no, we left you know, Bayrod and this, that, or the other, but everyone was involved. No one was left out. Well, Sarah was left out. But she was left out because it was so jam-packed. And also, I mean, we need to give Katie lots of break. She was prepping for the, for the big episode that's coming up next because she's directing it. So, uh, yeah, it, w- it was a fun, rewatchable, jam-packed episode of Legend, uh, Legends of Tomorrow. So on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of Time Masters. Here's our answer, Gidget, to remind you on how you can interact with us.
2: Thank you Captain. Follow Papitulo Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Papitulo Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at Are you interested in joining the Papitulo Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at Binge listen to your favorite Papichilo radio programs by visiting papicchiloradio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Time Masters and subscribe. Back to you, my captain.
1: Thanks, Gidget. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night starting off with the professor.
2: Ah, ich bin ein legend. Das Vidania.
1: Spa-
2: I was actually trying to do a JFK accent from his famous <laughs> speech in Berlin. Ich bin ein Berliner. But hey, sure, fine. Call it Russian. Uh, okay. I thought it was Russian. Spasiba. Um,
1: And Millie Wood.
0: I can't follow that up. I don't know Russian or JFK impersonation. But I hope everyone has a good night. If you want to follow along on the Twitter as at the Asian Nerd.
1: Just say moose and squirrel and you can do it. You do know Bullwinkle, right, Millie? The moose? Yes, moose and squirtle. Yes. All right, (laughs) Boris and Natasha, no? No, no, I'm lost. (laughs) Okay, Oh, Well, thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Time Masters every Tuesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio Archives. Quick programming notes. Uh, There is not a new episode of Legends of Tomorrow this upcoming Sunday, so uh, we will have the week off uh, next week. We will be back in two weeks with a brand new installment. Uh, Good night, everyone.